everybody, and welcome to New Books in German Studies, part of the New Books Network. I'm Craig Savillo, the host of the channel. Talking Today we'll be talking to Dr. Simon Levis-Sulam about his excellent new book, The Italian Executioners, The Genocide of Jews <clears throat> of Italy, published by Princeton in 2018. Simon, hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's wonderful to have you. Um, Simon, we traditionally like to begin these interviews by having the author uh, tell us something about themselves. Well, I am a, a professor at the University of Venice, uh, Katowskeri, in Italy. Uh, I work on uh, modern uh, European history, especially Italian and French, uh, in the 19th and 20th century. Uh, but I like to remember that I've had an extensive uh, U.S. Uh, academic uh, training, and part of my career happened on the east and west coast in the States. So I have a special connection to your country. Um, wonderful. Uh, where where did you study in the United States? I was at Berkeley and UCLA, and I spent some time at Columbia, the Italian Academy. Uh, so I remain attached to that world. Uh, and then I went on to an experience at Oxford. Uh, and uh, but my research has led me, especially in Italy, in France, in archives and libraries. And now I teach in modern Europe uh, in in Italy, in Venice especially. Um, what was your dissertation? I worked uh, on Mazzini, the Italy's father founder in the 19th century, and um, I tried to claim that uh, despite the, the fact that he's usually um, considered a liberal, uh, there were authoritarian elements in his thoughts, uh, uh, which... Uh, uh, were then used uh, uh, in the 20th century in, in the making of uh, fascist ideology. And uh, this uh, was quite controversial, but I published it as a book in Italian first in 2010. And then in the, the book came out also in the UK and the US with Palgrave Macmillan, uh, more recently in 15, uh, under the title uh, Giuseppe Mattini and the Origins of Fascism. And uh, so I tend to be a revisionist as, uh, regarding Italian history. I, I like to study uh, the dark side of Italian <laughs> history, a country that is usually known for uh, its beauties and its uh, monumental past and the Renaissance, uh, Dante Alighieri, uh, etc. I, I, I think we have to concentrate also on its uh, more complex and dark moments. Um, that's a great transition to your current book. Um, so how did you get the idea to write this book? Um, was it something you've been thinking about for a long time? Um, sort of out of your, was it did it come out of your dissertation on your last book? Well, um, I had worked on uh, the last phase of fascism at the very beginning of my career. With the, my first article was uh, devoted on the to or devoted to the Republic of the Salo Republic, uh, uh, which was this uh, puppet republic uh, created by Mussolini and with the Nazi support uh, in the heart of the Second World War between 1943 and 1945, uh, but I didn't deal specifically with uh, the Jewish question and the Holocaust then. Um, however, I, in recent years I've been increasingly preoccupied with the fact that the Italian public opinion and also the Italian academia, uh, but especially the international academia outside Italy, 
uh, has not dealt so much with the criminal aspect of fascism. Uh, oftentimes, uh, fascism is seen as a lesser evil uh, as com comparison to Germany. And I wanted to show uh, and to focus on, for that reason, on the most violent, the most criminal phase of fascism, which uh, had been a dictatorship uh, at least since 1925 in Italy, uh, but and had been a violent dictatorship, uh, not only persecuting public, you know, political opinion, uh, but also um, persecuting anti-fascist uh, uh, workers, or socialists, uh, uh, etc. Oftentimes, killing them. Uh, but I wanted to look at. A more, recent, a more recent phase, uh, the phase at the heart of the Second World War in which uh, during the German occupation, uh, Mussolini returned to power and uh, enhanced uh, its uh, anti-Jewish persecution. The, uh, we will probably mention the fact that uh, in 1938, uh, Mussolini introduced uh, racial laws in Italy, uh, anti-Jewish laws, uh, expelling Jews uh, from Italian society. Uh, uh, and this was a preliminary phase to a more radical phase which took place uh, during the Second World War, which marked the transition from the persecution of the rights of Jews, uh, which had been kicked out from Italian society, schools, uh, uh, universities, libraries, uh, jobs, uh, um, to the persecutions of the life of the Jews uh, when Jews were actually uh, hunted down uh, in around Italy, especially in the center north of Italy uh, during the war, and were uh, first confined in uh, detention camps and then turned to the Germans. Uh, and this was basically the Italian chapter of the so-called final solution. The Germans would then, would ship them then to, well, Eastern, Eastern Europe, especially Auschwitz, where they were killed in thousands, in the thousands, uh, in the concentration camps. So there was a political and scientific preoccupation with the criminal nature of fascism. And then there was also my personal involvement. Uh, I have a Jewish background, and part of my family was killed in the Holocaust. So I don't deny, and I am interesting, interested in exploring the scholars' uh, implication uh, in in the topic he, he or she works on uh, as a so as, as a kind of a personal trigger. Sure. Um, so. Good. Uh, I think this is a, a good place to sort of talk about the central problem that you're dealing with in your book, that um, both in historiography and in public perception, the Italians have often been viewed as not willingly or actively participating in the genocide of Italian Jews. And in, in a lot of cases, it's gone even further than that, that, you know, you, you mentioned in your book about the number of uh, places in Italy that study resistance to fascism, um, and very few that study um, actually participating in fascism. I, I wonder if you could talk about that that myth, where it comes from, um, why it's persisted, um, and then we'll, we'll get into some more specific things, but I think it'd be good to talk about the, the big historiographical problem that you're dealing with. Yes, well, uh, both in the historiography of the Holocaust, uh, especially at the international level, since 
the classic historiography of the Holocaust started, for example, in the major work uh, by Raoul Hilberg, uh, The Destruction of European Jews, published in the uh, early 60s, uh, which then became a classic and is still used uh, in the historiography of the Holocaust, uh, and in other major classic works uh, on totalitarianism, for example, Hannah Arendt's uh, uh, The Origins of Totalitarianism, published in 1951. Uh, the role of Italy and the space uh, devoted to Italy uh, in the Holocaust is very limited. Uh, also, French historiography, which was pioneering in the field, for example, Leon Polyakov, uh, the, the Russian scholar who worked in, in France uh, and a uh, major specialist uh, of anti-Semitism and one of the first authors of a major monograph on the Holocaust in Europe. Uh, in these works, the role of Italy is very limited. The role of Italian executioners is very limited. Uh, Italy is painted as a heaven uh, for the rescue of European Jews uh, fleeing from Eastern and Central Europe, uh, and uh, uh, the Italians are represented uh, as a benevolent uh, people who open their home uh, and in the, with the Catholic clergy playing a major role in rescuing Jews, uh, for example, in convents during the war. Um, this was the result of uh, limited knowledge about the Italian experience, uh, about the Italian experience of fascism more generally. For example, Hannah Arendt even denies uh, that fascism can be considered a totalitarianism in her work, classic work, uh, The Origins, I, which I mentioned. Well, actually, the word totalitarianism itself was uh, created by Italians, first by an the anti-fascists uh, who used it as a, of course, as a critique of uh, fascists, uh, the um, anti-democratic ruling, and then it was picked up by the fascists themselves who uh, liked the term and adopted to define themselves. Uh, but it wasn't only a question of distance from the sources and uh, of limited knowledge, uh, we now know from several works uh, uh, that uh, there was an active role, for example, of Italian diplomacy uh, after, right after the war in denying the role of uh, a violent role of, for example, the Italian army in the Balkans, uh, where Italian fascists had uh, played an active role in so-called anti-partisan warfare uh, in, uh, while they sided with the Germans in the first uh, half of the Second World War. Or there was more generally, for example, a denial of uh, colonial crimes uh, in uh, Ethiopia, uh, in which uh, Italy had uh, the country been involved uh, since the mid-30s, when it created a, an Italian empire during the peak of consent of fascism uh, at the heart of Italian imperialism. Um, and also the role of Italians in the Holocaust uh, had been limited, had been uh, denied and uh, basically hidden by Italian diplomacy, by the uh, by the by the Italian army, uh, and by Italian society at large. The problem was uh, hiding or not dealing with. Uh, the Italian involvement or the involvement of the Italian people with fascism, the fact that 
Italians had sided with fascism for uh, basically two decades, had offered their consent to the regime, and uh, mo- most of Italian society had been fascist. And um, another element which contributed to this uh, uh, erasure of uh, Italian responsibilities in, in the Holocaust was the fact that in 1946 a, an amnesty of, uh, of fascist crimes was enforced, which basically erased uh, all or ma- major fascist responsibilities, both during the regime and during the Second World War. So very few uh, post-war trials were uh, celebrated, and uh, very few people were condemned uh, based on for 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 these crimes. So these factors contributed to a very benevolent image of Italy outside Italy uh, through the role of uh, classics, uh, major historiographical works, and even to an active role of Italian institutions and Italian society at large. Um, I definitely want to ask you about trials, um, but before I do, I just wanted to follow up by asking, uh, do you think that um, the Allies, particularly the Americans, had anything to do um, with this sort of um, massaging over the Italian fascist past because they wanted the Italians to switch sides, they wanted to welcome them back into the community of nations after the war, um, they had enough yeah, problems think, to uh, deal with with the Germans. I, I think uh, they they wanted. Uh, I mean, uh, Italy had shifted alliances in the in the course of the war and had decided to side uh, with the Allies. Uh, and uh, in in response to this, uh, uh, the U.S. and other Western countries, uh, in a sense, adopted uh, Italy and. Uh, uh, decided that it would belong to the Western uh, bastion in the uh, Cold War divide. Uh, uh, There was also the concern that Italy uh, could uh, turn into a communist country uh, because of the growing influence uh, of the Communist Party in in the country. So uh, counting uh, uh, on... uh, Watering, watering down the past responsibility uh, was uh, seen as necessary and perhaps essential to obtain Italian support uh, of the Western uh, alliance uh, in, the, in the Cold War, uh, and this would uh, uh, would help uh, both uh, uh, the U.S. in acting against uh, Nazi Germany and its crimes. Uh, and in uh, separating Italy from the growing influence uh, of the USSR. Um, so trials, you do mention uh, a number of times in the book about the amnesty law, um, but you do you do talk about a couple of the trials that took place. Um, I'm wondering if you can explain the sort of the characteristics of those trials, how they operated, um, where they, yes. did they borrow from Nuremberg, for instance, um, and how were they well, perceived? Uh, yeah. Well, to begin with, there was there was never a, uh, there was never a Nuremberg for Italian fascist crimes. Uh, the the entire focus uh, of the Western countries uh, was on Nazi Germany, and uh, locally uh, or nationally in Italy, very few trials uh, were celebrated. 
uh, following the war before the amnesty uh, of 1946, which was actually enforced by and decided by the secretary of the Communist Party, Palmiro Tugliatti, who was also the Minister of Justice. And this was done uh, to avoid, basically, a civil war in Italy because of the fact, or to close the civil war. Uh, the resistance movement uh, had involved only uh, several thousand Italians, uh, but basically had split, split Italy between fascists and anti-fascists. But the majority of Italians had been fascists. So uh, if there had been no amnesty, uh, most of Italians would have been uh, in jail, probably. So uh, as if today we the, 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 the absence of an Italian Nuremberg seems, uh, sounds uh, shocking, Probably at the time it was necessary on the political grounds uh, to avoid uh, uh, a huge split in Italian society, uh, the continuation uh, of, uh, of violence, uh, and the fact that uh, most Italians would have been called uh, to explain their position and to pay for what they had done, basically supporting fascism. So few trials uh, took place, uh, but as in Nuremberg, uh, the uh, anti-Jewish crimes were not a specific uh, uh, accusation, were not legally acknowledged yet uh, by international law or nor by national laws. Uh, so the the crime, the, uh, the specific anti-Jewish activity since 38 and specifically in the Holocaust, the role of Italians in arrest, uh, the, the predation of uh, wealth, uh, and uh, the uh, turning in Jews to the Germans uh, or betraying them was never considered as a specific crime in Italian court. Um, as it is known that this, this was true also for Nuremberg and uh, the crime against the Jewish people was uh, uh, crimes against the Jewish people were acknowledged only uh, later on internationally, uh, starting with the Eichmann trial in 1961 in Israel. Uh, this was done by Israeli law, uh, uh, so it didn't exist in Italy uh, as it hasn't existed uh, in Nuremberg, where uh, the Holocaust itself has not been a specific. Uh, Object of uh, discussion. The same was true. Uh, was true in Italy, uh, even more so in a sense. Uh, only a few uh, war criminals were brought to justice, uh, but there was no mention of the role in, in the Holocaust. And those who served in jail uh, at the higher rank were uh, soon uh, uh, released uh, in the early fifties uh, through other amnesties. Uh, or were able to flee the country. Uh, uh, for example, General Roatta, who had been uh, active in the Balkans uh, and who had been responsible for extreme violence in the, in the Balkans. Um, most uh, some some uh, trials did take into consideration uh, or mentioned uh, in passing uh, the role that, for example, a few policemen, a policeman, the head of police, had had. In, uh, for example, in, in Rome, in the, the arrest of Jews, uh, but uh, usually uh, this was overturned, uh, and uh, the police was often able to show that in several other cases they had tried to help Jews. 
Uh, and in fact, uh, uh, the police is another institution, uh, the Italian police, uh, including the military police, the Carabinieri, who were at the head of the arrest of Jews during the war, were very active in uh, constructing a very positive image of themselves uh, after the war and in, in portraying themselves as victims of the Germans and not as independent uh, actors uh, on the Italian scene. And to this day, uh, the Carabinieri, the Italian military police, a major police force in Italy, uh, has denies access to its archives, uh, historical archives. Uh, so uh, the, the the role of the Carabinieri in the arrest is known, but has not been documented on their own papers. It emerges, however, on in police records and in other official papers, so it is uh, proved. Um, but these trials never brought uh, to the attention of the judges uh, the, uh, the, the, the anti-Jewish activity. And in fact, uh, both the police and uh, the the judges were uh, left uh, untouched uh, by uh, the transition to post-fascism, meaning uh, the judges and the persecutors uh, who were uh, uh, active and had trained during fascism and the policemen who had been trained and were active during fascism remained largely the same, uh, uh, did not change uh, after the war and in post-fascist Italy. Uh, it was the same man. And in fact, the, there were incredible cases in which uh, uh, individual policemen who had been in charge of stealing uh, um, the Jewish, uh, uh, confiscating Jewish wealth uh, were then made responsible after the war uh, of the restitution of Jewish wealth because they were the experts and specialists uh, of the field. Basically, there was a... Uh, after the liberation, the next day, uh, the next day, most of uh, Italian policemen were declared uh, uh, innocent and were put in charge of the restitution of Jewish wealth, as if as if nothing had happened. Um, when I got to that section of your book, I was I was shocked by that, um, mm -hmm. just how. Um, so in essence, there was no, in, unlike in Germany where there was a whole denazification process, that that just did not happen. In Italy, at, right. at any level of government, basically not. Um, yes. Uh, also, uh, there were cases of people who had turned in their friends uh, and uh, informants. Uh, that was basically not the object of uh, attention by the Italian justice. And the amnesty of 1946 had a, a major role. Uh, and the fact that the Italians uh, wanted to call themselves anti-fascists uh, after the fall of the regime, uh, which had brought them to a disastrous war, uh, there was basically a general complicity of Italian society in declaring Italy innocent, and in a sense turning, it, turning Italy into a, a victim of Nazism and of fascism, which in truth uh, it had largely supported. Um, I get I get the sense from from your answer that Italian ordinary Italians uh, citizens on the street people reading newspapers um, by and large would have been very against trials these trials um, 
Uh, well, there was a fear. That, I mean, uh, because of the large uh, involvement of uh, of Italians at all levels uh, in fascist uh, bureaucracy and the fact that fascism controlled uh, the Italian society uh, through the regime, various uh, association, youth association, uh, school programs, etc. This involvement, uh, the Italian involvement in fascism was so uh, deep uh, that uh, basically uh, all Italy would have been put under trial uh, if the amnesty would not have been enforced. So uh, certainly this was seen as something dangerous and something that would have uh, uh, damaged the civil texture of Italian society, Mm -hmm. which was uh, in desire of uh, peace and uh, returning to democracy. And also the fact that uh, Christian democracy, which in many ways became a heir to the, the role of the fascist party. Italy was actually split between the Communist Party and the Christian Democrats after the war. But they made an alliance in uh, erasing uh, fascist crimes and involvement within fascism. Um, and that's a different experience, um, particularly with the communists who, um, in other countries, in Germany or in, in France um, or in East Germany, uh, really wanted to highlight um, fascist crimes. Um, is that something you've thought about, that it's, it's diff- very different in Italy, that the, the communists and the, the Christian Democrats would make that sort of deal? Yes, well, the problem is that the communists themselves uh, were largely, uh, had been largely involved. I mean, the leadership of the party had been in exile. For example, Togliatti himself, the secretary of the party, had been in exile in in Moscow uh, and so had no involvement with fascism. Other had been in France, other had been in jail or killed, but you could count anti-fascists uh, in uh, very small numbers. Mm. So, uh, if you were to put under trial all the uh, communist electorates, you would be dealing with uh, a large involvement also of that electorate, which had, in a sense, discovered democracy only after the war, uh, but had largely supported fascism before before uh, the war. So, it was, a, in a sense, a necessary political move. Mm. The, 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 the involvement, the degree of involvement, I mean, uh, only Italy and Germany can be compared on those grounds because, for example, you mentioned France, but France did not have a, a fascist government apart from Vichy, which was a short uh, parenthesis in the course of the war. Uh, so uh, there weren't, uh, you know, large uh, uh, spread, uh, support. there wasn't a spread, uh, widespread support for two decades uh, of a fascist regime mm-hmm. in France. Uh, uh, the, the, the German case is, is, is totally different also because Germany, as you know, was uh, occupied, was split, uh, and so it's, it's, in a sense, quite hard to compare to, to hmm. the Italian case. Okay, good. Um, so I want to move to something else. You spend a lot of time in your book talking about uh, individual motivations um, for why they participated. Um, and, of course, it's it's not possible to get inside every individual's head or even uh, groups of individuals. Um, But I I do want you to spend some time talking about the particular things that motivated Italians to participate um, in genocide, um, and and particularly the 
the looting of Jewish property, which you, you talk about in this book a lot. Um, yes. Um, so I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you do that. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, I think it is important to underline that uh, a limited number of Italians most likely were motivated by anti-Semitism itself in the persecution of the Jews. I mean, the ideological factor was uh, a limited factor in motivating persecution. Uh, I claim that uh, Italian participation uh, should be put in the context of the Italian civil war, the uh, split between fascists and anti-fascists, uh, and the war and the German occupation. So uh, under special condition of distress for Italian society in which uh, Italians, in a sense, were all one against the other, in which, in which there was a great uh, climate of uh, suspicion, uh, of uh, self-defense, uh, lots of selfishness, which also uh, was the result of the heavy conditions of the war. Um, so the motivating factor was uh, sometimes uh, self-defense, sometimes uh, uh, you mentioned uh, the looting of Jewish property. Uh, oftentimes, it was the search for enrichment. So you would denounce a Jew, so you could, uh, for example, your Jewish neighbor, so you could uh, hopefully move into their apartment and uh, perhaps uh, 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 take his wealth. Sometimes it, uh, it had it had been your uh, the partner in the common uh, enterprise and a common common uh, a business party. Sometimes it was your neighbor, sometimes somebody who lived down the street. Also, the notion of genocide is, is, is very relevant because uh, I tried to show, and I, I can say I've been one of the first to use this notion, uh, also to avoid uh, the centrality of the ideological factor. Because if you talk about the Holocaust, uh, it's obviously a project of uh, annihilation of the Jewish people. When you talk of genocide, more factors are implied. Uh, general violence uh, against your neighbor for self-defense, for uh, uh, the desire of enrichment, and, for example, for, um, in a sense, uh, sometimes there were past uh, episodes which had split uh, people who knew each other, and it was uh, returning on those uh, uh, problems uh, in common businesses uh, or uh, things that hadn't worked out in a friendship uh, would uh, result uh, in uh, betrayal. Also, uh, genocide as it is seen today, and especially the genocide of the, of the Jews of Europe, uh, as it has been described by, for example, Raoul Hilberg or Sigmund Bauman, uh, is a process which has involved uh, uh, lots of bureaucratization. And uh, so thousands of Italians were involved in the genocide of the Jews uh, only uh, uh, through a limited segment of this uh, uh, tragedy. Uh, meaning uh, they played the bureaucratic role, a bureaucratic role, for example, in drafting the list of Jews that would be arrested or in listing the wealth that would be confiscated or in driving the truck that would lead uh, a Jewish family from their address, uh, their private address, uh, to uh, 
to a, a detention camp. Uh, this allowed a large participation and support because all these functions were fragmented and uh, basically as uh, Raoul Hilberg and Sigmund Baumann have written, uh, only a few people had an, an active uh, role in killing Jews face to face in Operation Barbarossa or in the uh, uh, extermination camps. Uh, very few were those who pushed the Jews physically into the gas chambers or poured gas in the chambers. Uh, the Holocaust took place uh, as a genocide through a huge uh, machinery of destruction in which bureaucracy played a huge role. And this is how it ha this is what happened also in Italy. So participation was uh, also the call of duty, the call of pro process of bureaucratization, the uh, call of collaboration, peer pressure. Uh, some of the things written by Christopher Browning uh, uh, in Ordinary Men, uh, where he studied uh, uh, violence in the eastern on the Eastern Front and the involvement of regular uh, ordinary policemen apply also to the Italian case. It wasn't a, killing on the, a case of killing on the Italian soil, but the peer pressure of, uh, of uh, for example, in the arrest by policemen, uh, by policemen was a factor involved. So there were many uh, factors. Uh, there were motivations which had to do with uh, enrichment, with uh, hate, uh, personal hate, uh, not ideologically or racially motivated. There was an ideological commitment too, because we know there were voluntary of uh, the fascist party reconstituted under Mussolini in 1943 during the German occupation, and there were there was uh, anti-Semitic prejudice, uh, a kind of fatalism towards uh, the Jews. And uh, this is also another page which has been overlooked uh, internationally, sometimes also by Italian historiography. Uh, the role. Uh, uh, played by anti-Semitism, also in modern Italian history. Uh, Italians uh, were not uh, uh, free from uh, anti-Semitic prejudice. In fact, the Catholic background had built uh, through centuries uh, many prejudices and uh, hostility, which uh, then uh, constituted a substratum uh, uh, to persecution and, uh, which, on which fascism had built uh, in a, a propaganda and an ideological campaign, at least since 38, where, they, as I mentioned, they did enforce racial laws. Um, I just, I think this is an important thing to emphasize. Um, the character of Italian anti-Semitism um, is is really very different than the Nazi anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. Correct that uh, you know the Nazi anti-Semitism is more pseudo-scientific, you know, racial-based, right. whereas Italian. Yeah. Italian um, anti-Semitism has a, has a more deep religious uh, undertone, yeah. Catholic undertone. Yeah, but yes, this is true uh, in terms of its origins, uh, uh, and uh, we cannot say that, uh, for example, anti-Semitism played a, a major role within uh, Italian nationalist ideology when Italy was formed in the 19th century. We see few instances of anti-Semitism in, uh, among uh, Italian nationalist thinkers uh, in the 19th century, for example, Massini, whom I mentioned, uh, or others. Uh, probably there was a more spread uh, uh, anti-Judaism, which is the theological version 
Christian and specifically Catholic version of uh, anti-Jewish hatred spread by the Catholic Church. Uh, still in the late 19th century, there were very, uh, and actually there was a resurgence of uh, anti-Jewish hostility by the Catholic Church um, in the 19th century because, uh, as we know, uh, the Vatican was the object of uh, an attack by the Italian nationalists who formed the Italian state and basically uh, secluded uh, the, the, the church within the, the, the walls of the Vatican. Uh, we should remember that until the uh, 1860s, uh, the Vatican had a, a, a full-fledged state in central Italy, uh, and it, well, while its political role was then limited uh, uh, to the city of Rome and to a neighborhood of the city of Rome, uh, and I don't mention, of course, the spiritual influence, which remains very relevant today uh, of the Catholic Church, I mean, uh, but politically, the church was uh, uh, was a loser in, uh, in in the 19th century, and also because of the advancement of secular ideology, socialism, uh, positivism, etc. And as a reaction, it often pointed to uh, Jews uh, as a symbol of modernity, that modernity which had persecuted the church and had uh, once again limited its political and in part also spiritual role. So there were anti-Jewish campaigns led by the church, uh, for example, it, uh, uh, an official mouthpiece, Civita Cattolica, the Jesuit uh, uh, periodical, which still is in printing uh, in the 1880s and 1890s. Uh, um, uh, and there was spread, uh, anti-Jewish prejudice. And we cannot forget that uh, the Catholic Church has given up uh, uh, anti-Semitism as an official position, an official view of the church, only in the early 60s, uh, so several years after the wars and after the Holocaust, over 15 years after the Holocaust, only with uh, the Second uh, Vatican Council. Uh, at the same time, uh, there's been uh, a wealth of historiography in the last 20 years in Italy, which has shown that also the Italian scientists uh, participated in racism, and that racism had a role uh, 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 especially in, in building uh, Italian colonialism. Uh, since the 1880s, uh, uh, Italy started a uh, tried to, to start an empire in, in Africa or to acquire uh, conquest colonies. Uh, first in Ethiopia, uh, later in Libya, which it uh, conquered in 1911-1912, and then finally uh, with the conquest of most of Ethiopia and the declaration of an Italian Empire in Ethiopia in 1935, uh, this uh, colonial enterprise to which Italy participated in the scramble for Africa uh, required the support of Italian sciences. So the existence of an Italian race was declared also by Italian scientists. And after all, race was a spread category in European thought, uh, in the sciences and literature, uh, in the, since the mid, at least the mid 19th century throughout Europe. And Italy was not exempt from this. Uh, what we must say is, yes, fascism did not have anti-Semitism as its core, at least when it started in the 20s, 
although there has been work, uh, for example, Mussolini trying to show that he had uh, lots of ambivalence towards the Jews, and there are anti-Jewish statements by Mussolini already in the 20s, uh, and there are important episodes uh, at the end of the 20s and in the early 30s in which there is a, uh, some indication of anti-Semitism within the fascist party. And there were, there were dreams of the fascist party which used anti-Semitism, uh, for example, so-called, the so-called economic anti-Semitism. For example, uh, Farinacci, who, had been, who was one of the secretaries uh, of the fascist party in 25, in the 30s attacked uh, Jewish capitalism openly, and uh, in the mid 30s, uh, uh, also the anti-fascists were uh, accused of being largely Jewish. There was an important Jewish segment among anti-fascism, but there were uh, open generalization by fascism. And then there was a connection between the racial question and the Jewish question, which started already in 37, right after the declaration of the Italian Empire in Ethiopia. The first racial laws enforced by the fascist regime were actually uh, laws enforced in the colonies, where the mixed-breed uh, sexual relationships between African women and Italian men were forbidden by law in 1937. Then came in 38 the racial laws, uh, anti-Semitic racial laws, which uh, were in fact a shift, a major turning point in the policies and also on the ideological level for fascism. Hmm. Um, so let's 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 shift gears. Um, I think that was that was very fascinating. So thank you for explaining all of that. Um, to rescue. Um, yeah. you don't, you don't talk a lot about it in, in your book, but you do, you do, you do say it happens. Um, yeah. it's not as, certainly not as widespread as, um, we had believed. Um, but it, it, you can talk about the character of rescue, who participated, um, what you think, yeah. how widespread well, do you think it was? Rescue did play an, an important role in the Italian experience. Uh, my book, uh, is, uh, concerned with genocide. I don't do... A full treatment of you know the the uh, the destiny and the experience of the Jews uh, of Italy during the war, or of European Jews who found themselves in Italy during the war and during the Holocaust. Uh, otherwise, I would have I would have had to uh, devote uh, a relevant uh, attention to rescue, which was uh, an important, uh, very relevant aspect, and I can say. From my own family experience, if I can mention the scholar's background once again, that part of my family uh, on my father's side was deported, and part of my father's family was uh, saved by Italians. And in fact, if I am here today, uh, uh, I owe this to other Italians who uh, rescued, uh, well, both, uh, well, especially my father's uh, family. Uh, so I am myself in the sense of demonstration uh, of the fact that Italians deported Jews, arrested Jews, and part of my family was deported and killed, including uh, small children. Uh, another part of it was saved. Uh, a major role was played by the Catholic clergy. So as we mentioned, the uh, ideological commitments against the Jews, uh, we should also mention the role of the Catholic clergy in uh, and the Catholic Church in rescuing Jews. It wasn't done. It was done for uh, 
on based on the Catholic, on Catholic principles of you know rescuing life. Uh, this uh, did not necessarily entail uh, getting rid of uh, anti-Semitic prejudice, but in, fa- in the face, in front of a uh, of uh, of a life under threat, convents opened their doors, especially in Rome. Uh, tens of convents hosted uh, for several months Jews in hiding, um, uh, and um, but uh, it, it is also true. That there was no central order uh, from the high excellence of the Catholic Church clergy for the rescue. Uh, so uh, the question of the silences of Pius XII, the Pope of the time, uh, was is still is still open. Uh, no document has been found that the fact that uh, Roman convents opened their door was decided uh, from high above, and uh, uh, the Holocaust did. Take place under the windows of these arrests of Jews in Rome uh, in October 1943, especially uh, uh, with no uh, statement, with no condemnation uh, by the Pope. Uh, but uh, apart from the clergy, uh, individual Italians uh, have Jews uh, in the countryside, in cities. Uh, uh, sometimes they did it uh, out of an act of generosity. Uh, sometimes they received uh, payment for that, uh, uh, and they showed. Uh, but uh, several thousand Jews were were, were rescued, and uh, so they put their life under uh, under threat. Uh, many many Italians did so. Uh, what I emphasize in the book is that in recent years. Uh, in the last uh, decade or so, probably the last 15 years, there's been an increasing and unbalanced attention on the rescue of Jews by Italians in Italian society. For example, Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in uh, Jerusalem, has acknowledged uh, uh, hundreds of Italians uh, rescuing Jews, but it has paid very limited attention to uh, Italian executioners, to Italian participating in the Holocaust. So, uh, on Holocaust Remembrance Day, which was established in the year 2000, also in Italy, the European-wide date, uh, which uh, coincides with the date of the opening of the gates of Auschwitz on January 27, 1945, uh, every year uh, there are uh, Italians who are acknowledged as, uh, as having saved Jews, uh, but very limited attention is paid to the role of Italians who arrested these. I think we should find, certainly on historical uh, ground, the balance between acknowledging uh, rescue and acknowledging the role in the deportation. Otherwise, seen from the perspective of the public debate, even in Italy, we always talk of Italians who saved Jews, uh, uh, and we don't, we cannot understand how was it possible that uh, almost 7,000 Jews were arrested and deported in Syria? Yeah, um, so that leads me to my next question. Um, how do you see the, the perception of Italy's role in the Holocaust changing in the future, um, you know, as younger generations of Italians become historians and look into these, these questions? Um, and how was your book received in, in Italy? 
Um, I think, I mean, Italian historiography is increasingly dealing with these problems, uh, the criminal nature of fascism and also the Italian involvement in the Holocaust. And in fact, my book comes in Italy as a, uh, as a, in a sense, a synthesis of work that has been done in the last uh, uh, 15 to 20 years and perhaps even more by uh, many uh, younger scholars uh, uh, on whose work uh, I have based uh, part of my own work, uh, work that's been done on individual cities, for example, Florence or Venice uh, or Milan or even Rome, uh, has increasingly acknowledged and reconstructed in detail the role of Italians uh, uh, in the Holocaust uh, and uh, also more generally, the criminal nature of fascism. And I think this is uh, emerging also in international historiography, uh, in especially the U.S., and I think uh, that uh, a new generation of scholars trained by uh, Italy, Italian specialists like uh, Victoria de Graaf at Columbia University or Ruth Van Giet at NYU or in other American campuses, uh, uh, they themselves have worked on these topics in part, or they are training a new generation of scholars who have looked at uh, the violent nature of fascism. Uh, and also, uh, there's other work uh, that's been translated into English uh, on uh, Italian antisemitism during fascism. For example, I have to recall Michele Farfatti's work published by uh, Wisconsin University Press in the George Mosse collection already uh, a decade ago uh, because Sarfati is one of the leading scholars uh, of the, of uh, fascist antisemitism and uh, he has uh, headed uh, the Center for uh, Jewish History in Milan for several decades and his work was published in the States uh, already about a decade ago. So, uh, new work is, uh, is now available, and I think uh, uh, this uh, enterprise uh, of uh, balancing the historical record will, will continue. Uh, in general, uh, the Italian edition of my book has sold very well, but apart from the commercial aspect, uh, I think uh, many Italians are grateful that the historical record is being uh, restored. Uh, generally, uh, newspaper articles were, were quite favorable. There is still some uh, resistance uh, within academic circle in uh, when you talk of the Italian executioner. And uh, there's the perception that we, that I want to try to establish a parallel with the German experience, uh, uh, which I do want, which I want only in part, because as a historian, I want to I mean, I think comparison is uh, is made uh, is necessary uh, and is useful to establish uh, what is specific of every national experience and what is so, especially to work on differences more than on similarities. Huh? Uh, this is still uh, regarded with some uh, uh, uncertainty and with some skepticism uh, in Italian academic circles. But I think. Uh, that uh, historical truth will will proceed, and uh, I don't want to be moralistic about it. I think uh, even in my book, I didn't want to draw a list of Italians who uh, 
arrested Jews or participating in the Holocaust, but I was more interested in describing uh, the process of uh, of involvement uh, in violent actions uh, and also the bureaucratization of violence, which made possible uh, what happened. Uh, many Italians were <coughs> ordinary Italians who did not perform violent duties. They participated in the process of persecution. And this is the answer I often give to the question that is often raised. That did Italians who participated in these actions, especially bureaucratic actions, know what they were doing, meaning what would be the ultimate result of what they were doing, how spread was were the news of the final solution and of the terminal uh, aim and conclusion, meaning extermination in the gas chambers, uh, known in Italy. Uh, the news were known, certainly the Vatican news, many, uh, uh, the elite knew. Uh, we have diaries from uh, intellectuals who were well informed, uh, not only by journalism, but also through diplomatic connections that knew what was happening in Eastern Europe. What I say Probably the population at large did not have a clear notion of what was happening. Uh, that's most likely true, but what they did know is that they were participating in a process of persecution uh, of some sort. A persecution, a process which had started in 1938 with the uh, expulsion of Jews from Italian society, with the creation of a kind of an apartheid system, uh, Jewish schools for Jews only. Uh, no Jewish books lent in Italian libraries, uh, no Jewish companies, uh, no uh, Jewish partnerships within, uh, and for example, Jewish professionals uh, working only for uh, a Jewish population. So a system of apartheid which had been built and kept alive by fascism for five years then was, in a sense, enhanced and a new radical policy was started uh, in the name of the uh, of a renewed alliance with the Nazism that resulted in Holocaust. So the population that participated in this process knew that it was participating in a process of persecution very, very clearly. They knew what they were doing. Uh, if they did not know uh, of the, the fatal results and the fatal end of that process, uh, they knew that they weren't uh, that we were involved in a, in a process based on hostility, of prejudice, uh, and on uh, state persecution. Uh, I think uh, this uh, will emerge more and more from the sources. Also, now uh, the, there are no private limits on the official sources on this uh, experience in state archives in Italy. So. Uh, there's free uh, open access to these documents, and I think historians uh, 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 will increasingly write on this, uh, and works will be translated on this uh, that will uh, spread the, the knowledge of uh, what was the Holocaust, uh, not only in the heart of Europe, uh, in Germany or in Eastern Europe, but also in Western Europe. Uh, and uh, the notion that the Holocaust could not take place without collaborationists throughout Europe, uh, including the Italian collaborationists, and in, case, in this case actually allies, uh, will uh, basically be still.
Um, so um, we're coming in close to an hour. So let me ask, um, what are one or two things um, that you would like somebody listening or someone who's reading your book um, to take away from your book? Um, you could you know, force them to two things, one or two things. Yeah, well, um, I think, uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning, uh, I think I hope this book will, uh, by focusing on the most extreme and most violent phase of Italian history, of Italian fascism, uh, will uh, allow a reconsideration of the fascist experience more generally and, once again, of its criminal nature. The fact that fascism uh, already in the 20s was a, a <coughs> in the mid 20s became a dictatorship and a violent one, which uh, persecuted uh, uh, the opposition uh, and uh, uh, limited uh, freedom uh, and denied the freedom of opinion, uh, freedom of press, uh, freedom of political association, but also uh, killed its uh, opponents, uh, uh, as the call. There are Sally Brothers, uh, uh, prominent anti-fascist, which was killed in France in 37. I can recall the name of Antonio Gramsci, now acknowledged as a leading philosopher throughout the world for his theoretical work, but actually the major fight, anti-fascist fighter who died as a consequence of his jailing uh, uh, in, in fascist prisons in 1937. But others were killed already in 1924, like uh, uh, Matteotti, and uh, or in 25, like Piero Gobetti, who died uh, in exile. So this is one aspect which I think uh, I hope uh, uh, the readers of my book internationally will uh, be brought to reconsider, let to reconsider. Another aspect is uh, how to study the spread of violence uh, in uh, genocide and civil war, and especially in, in genocide. The idea uh, that genocide studies are increasingly showing is that genocide does not take place in uh, in faraway lands. We often associate genocide with something, in a sense, uh, exotic or even oriental. Uh, uh, well, for example, Rwanda or uh, uh, Armenia or Cambodia. Uh, well, we know from recent experiences in the 1990s that it can happen also in the heart of Europe, Bosnia. We know this uh, from the Second World War. Uh, genocide is the killing of the next-door neighbors. Uh, once uh, uh, there are the ideological and social uh, and cultural preconditions to persecute the other, your next-door neighbors. Uh, so I am interested, and I hope uh, the readers will be interested, in uh, reading about and trying to understand how those violence spread uh, uh, at the molecular level uh, once there are the conditions which are enforced by hatred of your next-door neighbors, uh, by racism, uh, prejudice, hostility, in special conditions uh, of war or of uh, extreme socioeconomic uh, and political tension. These are perhaps two major aspects, one more specific, uh, the Italian experience, and the other sort of more broad, which uh, Italy in 1943-45, uh, the heart of the European experience, uh, becomes a study to the question of genocide. 
Well, yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, I want to encourage everybody listening to go out and get the book. Um, it's a great book. It's also very concise um, at about 150 pages. So um, definitely uh, enjoyed reading the book. Um, but before I let you go, I, I'm going to put you on the spot and sort of ask you, uh, what are you working on now? Um, I have two projects. Uh, one uh, deals with uh, one of the sources of the so-called Protocols of the Elders of Zion, of Zion which was a uh, early 20th century forgery, uh, probably uh, drafted in Russia with strong uh, French influence, which describes a text which describes a world conspiracy uh, by Jews to conquer the control of the world, uh, of world economics, uh, and uh, uh, of society at large. This forgery is still spread. Uh, it had it enjoyed a huge success after the First World War, but it's still spread online, and uh, it's often the subtext of uh, fake news uh, attacking Jews uh, for their wealth uh, and their supposed uh, access to uh, the control of society and economics. And I am working on a specific source, uh, a text uh, of the 1870s uh, by an Englishman who traveled through the Mediterranean in Europe uh, and wrote in 1873 a book called uh, The Conquest of the World by Jews. And this short text, uh, which is one of the first uh, anti-Jewish polemics uh, uh, of the modern period, becomes uh, one of the sources uh, of the forgery, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Uh, another broader project uh, has to do uh, with, uh, again, Italian history, and it's about the role played by Italian intellectuals in the transition from fascism to anti-fascism, uh, and how uh, Italian intellectuals who were, as most of Italian society, largely involved uh, in fascism, then uh, described themselves after the war as largely anti-fascist and how they uh, had uh, Italian society uh, build a narrative uh, which was uh, uh, largely based on the oblivion of fascist crimes and the oblivion of Italian responsibility within fascism. So I looked at a few major intellectual novelists, journalists and academics uh, who had been involved in fascism and then sort of self-fashioned themselves as openly anti-fascist after the war and helped build a, a collective narrative of of in the post-war period in which uh, the responsibility, the Italian responsibility within fascism were basically erased. These are my two projects. Well, they both sound fascinating, and when we finish and they become books, um, I hope you'll be back on the show uh, to talk about them. I want to thank you again for being on the show today. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you about this book. Um, I also want to thank everybody for listening uh, to New Books in German Studies, and uh, we will see you all next time. <laughs>